You're listening to the King's Oahu podcast. We hope today you're inspired, your faith is built up, and that you're encouraged by today's word. Come on, let's give it up for him one more time. That was awesome. You know, next week, next week is going to be incredible. I I really think it's going to be one of our greatest Sundays we've ever had. And I truly believe, just like I I challenged you, I feel like the Lord has been speaking to us to contend for miracles in this season. You know, you can't help but talk about the death and the resurrection of Christ and not see incredible miracles happen. Can I encourage you? I know many of you have those little cards, those true or false cards, and invite somebody to church next week. You know, they, they, they say that that is the most effective way to see people saved, to encounter Jesus, is you just invite them to church. It's still the most effective evangelistic tool on planet Earth. It's just invite somebody to church. Some of you are here today because somebody had the audacity and the boldness to invite you to church, and isn't it wonderful to see how God's changed our lives? Amen. Well, hey, let's get into the word this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 2. The book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And I'm actually very excited about this morning. At the end of this service, we're going to pray for miracles. How many of you believe that God is a God of miracles? Come on, anybody here believe that God is a God of miracles? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's, we got to say that one part. Again, that last part, triumphing. Are you ready? Triumphing over them by the cross. How many of you believe that this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp upon our feet and a light upon our path. And Lord, in this brief moment that I have, to share your word. I pray let faith arise. Lord God, stir up that gift of faith within us. Holy Spirit, that you would come and do a work through this word, that our our hearts will be encouraged, our life, Lord God, will be challenged to live a life that you've called us to live, that you've anointed us and empowered us to live. And we thank you, Father, for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The title of my message, if you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is The Cross, The Cure, and The Conquerors. Come on, let's, let's, let's say that again. The what? The cross, the cure, and the conquerors. As we look at this passage, Paul the apostle, who's the author of this passage, is writing to the church in Colossae, and he wants them to understand the significance of what Christ did on the cross. One of the things that we have to understand today is the significance of the totality of what Christ did on the cross. The work that Christ did on the cross was a complete work. It wasn't a half work. It was a complete work. And it's the desire of Christ for us to walk in the completion of the work that Christ did on the cross. But we have to ask ourselves this question. And as you look at this passage, you have to ask yourself, well, why why a cross? When you look at history and the New Testament and you see Jesus being crucified on a cross, you have to ask Why a cross? I mean, you think about how many people, rappers and everybody else, wear big old crosses. You know, I I saw this beautiful cross the other day on somebody, around someone's house. Man, that is a beautiful cross. And it hit me. I was like, I wonder if Jesus would have died another way. 
Like, think about if Jesus would have been hung to death, we'd all be wearing nooses around our neck. If Jesus would have been killed with a guillotine, we'd all be wearing guillotines. Like, can you imagine a rapper with a big old guillotine around his neck? You know what I mean? That's, that's a little weird. Think about that. Like, it's become such a symbol that why did Jesus die on a cross? It could have been a guillotine, could have been a noose, could have been, he could have been stoned to death. We even see in scripture moments where he could have, the, the people tried to push him off a hill. That's how he could have died. Why the cross? Can I tell you this? It had to be a cross. I'll say it again. It had to be the cross. See, it wasn't enough for Jesus simply to die. We find significance in the cross. The cross does not just symbolize how he died, but who he died for. I'm going to say that again. The cross does not simply define how he died. It's not just a simple, a symbol of how he died, but who he died for. We see even last week understanding the prophetic symbolism and the prophetic words and the fulfillment of Christ dying on a cross. There were Old Testament prophetic words of how Jesus would die. And the Bible even says in the Old Testament, curses he who hangs, who dies on a tree. Christ had to fulfill the prophetic word. He had to go to the cross as a fulfillment of those prophetic words. But secondly, we understand that Christ had to satisfy the full penalty of our sin. The full penalty of our sin had to be satisfied. Now, there's two thoughts, there's two school of thoughts, and I want you guys to see this because a lot of people say, well, Pastor, where do you stand on this? And when we talk about the cross of Christ and Jesus intentionally going to the cross, it wasn't accidental. And can I tell you this? The cross wasn't willed by the devil. It was willed by God. The cross, the cross wasn't willed by the devil. The devil ain't that strong. The cross was actually willed by God. And there's two schools of thought. Number one, the first school of thought, and many, many theologians will say this, is that the devil understood the power of the cross and tried to keep Jesus from dying on it. And I'll talk about that in a second. The second school of thought is the devil just wanted Jesus dead no matter how. He didn't care. I just want Jesus dead. And, and he tried everything possible to kill Christ. See, I, I believe that the devil attempted to, uh, to, to prematurely kill Jesus and discourage Jesus from going to the cross. Now, let me tell you why I believe that. Is because, number one, the devil understood. He was privileged to understand all the prophetic words concerning Christ. Did you know that Jesus knew that the devil would come to tempt him. He understood even in the desert when the devil came to tempt him, what did the devil use to tempt Jesus? The word, he used scripture. And Jesus used scripture and in turn. Did you know that the devil knows the Bible better than you? The devil was aware of all 600 prophetic words concerning Jesus, where he would die. Where would he where he'd live, where he'd be born, how he'd die? He was aware of all of it. And I, I wonder, I wonder if the devil did everything he could to derail Christ from going to the cross. Look, let's look at this. As a baby, Herod, and this I, I truly believe that this was under the unction of the devil, that Herod attempted to kill Jesus by killing every baby boy in that area. 
You see, in the desert, the devil tried to get Jesus to take the easy way out by simply bowing down and worshiping Satan. If you just worship me, you don't have to go to the cross. You're not going to have to experience it. If you just worship me, this is the easy way out. He tried to give Jesus the easy way out. Watch this one. Thirdly, we see that the devil tried to kill Jesus by the crowd. In Luke chapter 4, 28, we see that a crowd rose up and tried to push Jesus off a hill. And the Bible shows that Jesus disappeared out of the crowd. He wasn't there anymore. And they're like, where'd he go? Isn't that crazy? Sometimes I wish that could happen to me, especially at Costco. Just disappear. Sorry. <laughs> so as a baby, we see an attempt on Jesus' life in the desert. We see an attempt to derail Jesus and the destiny of the cross. We see him even in the crowd, the attempt of the enemy to kill Jesus. Now, how about this? Through his followers. Even through his followers, the devil attempted to derail Christ from going to the cross. How do we know that? It's because Jesus, and many of you guys heard me even say this last week. Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter pipes up. Peter, Piper, Pickle, Pepper, Pickle, Pecker, Pepper. Try and say, I can't even say it. I almost did it. I almost did it. I was so close. Peter piped up. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says this, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's amazing. He revealed the source. Jesus in that moment revealed the source of the revelation. But then Jesus starts talking about how he must die, how he's going to he's gonna have to be killed, and then he's going to be raised from the dead. And Peter freaks out, and Peter starts saying, uh-uh, not going to happen. Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. What happened? In that moment, Jesus reveals the source of the revelation. That the devil was using Peter to actually discourage Christ from going to the cross. And Jesus under the, understood the source of it and said, get thee behind me, Satan, because you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of the devil. Whew. Wow. So we see even in that moment an attempt by the devil to derail Christ from going to the cross. Even in the garden of Gethsemane. Here's Jesus, and his, he's, he's burdened by what he's about to do. He knows he's about to go to the cross. And even in that, he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And he prays, and then we understand that right there in the garden, Jesus gets his breakthrough, and he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. In every, you see, in every attempt for the enemy to try and kill Jesus prematurely or derail him from going to the cross. And I look at this, I say, why, why, why would this happen this way? Why was the devil so intent on keeping Christ from going to the cross? Now, maybe the cross was a part of the devil's plan, but can I tell you this? The cross was never a part of the devil's plan. It was always a part of God's plan. You mean, pastor, that... God would predestine Christ to go to the cross? Absolutely. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Listen to me. We got to stop giving. <laughs> we got to stop giving the devil credit for the greatest miracles in our life. It wasn't by accident. This is amazing. And you say, well, pastor, then why the cross? Why was the devil so intent on trying to derail Christ and stop Christ? It's because the full extent of our indebtedness had to be paid. Yeah. 
Because of the cross, we don't have a partial salvation or a partial freedom or a partial healing. It is full. So many other ways to die. Why the cross, Pastor? If there are so many other ways to die, why the cross? Because the cross wasn't just cruel. It was reserved as the punishment for the worst atrocities of men. I'm going to say that again. The cross was actually reserved for the worst atrocities of men. The cross was reserved for the worst of the worst. It was a public, shameful death. It was to make an example of the sin of the world was put upon Christ. The full extent of the sin of this world was put upon Jesus. From the broken to the murderer, from the liar to the thief. Friends, you gotta understand salvation is not just for good people or for well people. It extends to the most wretched, the hurting and the broken. In understanding the power of the cross, in understanding the power of the cross, we must realize that we see a collision with the revelation of the cross. What was reserved for the wretched and the worst of the worst may be saved. You see, if Jesus would have just died a different way, he wouldn't have paid the full extent of our sin. See, Jesus realized he wasn't just dying for a liar. He was dying for the murderer. He was dying for the rejected. He was dying for the worst of the worst and the greatest sins, the greatest atrocities. And so this is the thing. We cannot limit who can be saved because Jesus died for all of them. That's what the cross symbolizes. When Jesus died on that cross, he said, it doesn't matter what you think you did. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. You can be forgiven of your sins because I've paid the price for everybody. You gotta get get this in your spirit because one of the things that the devil wants to do is lie to you and say, oh, God can't forgive you for that. But you see, the cross which was reserved for the worst of the worst. The worst sins. I mean, I, I can't. You think, you think about the worst thing that someone could ever do? The cross was their punishment. In those days, the cross was their punishment. Like today, we think about the worst of the worst. What, the person that does the worst atrocity, what would they be convicted of? They would have the, life, the death sentence, correct? Even worse than life in prison was the death sentence. For the Romans in that day, the cross was reserved for the worst atrocities known to man. And that's how Jesus died. And the reason he died on a cross is so that he could die for the worst of the worst of the worst. So that even the worst of the worst could be forgiven. Those sins in those deep, dark places that you don't want anybody to know about. Even those things that bring so much shame to your your own life, even that sin Jesus died for. There's no limit. And this is what's so incredible to me is there's no limit to his grace. There's no limit to his mercy. And to me, that's what the cross symbolizes the most is the price that Jesus paid. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. We understand that in the cross, this is so profound to me, through the cross, three things happen. And I call it the cure. Three things happen. Number one, 
the devil was disarmed. As we see very clearly here in Colossians chapter 2, he forgave us of all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which we see why the cross, our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. I love that word because that word disarmed actually means to strip away. Jesus stripped the devil of all his power and authority. It means to wholly put off something or completely strip something. This, this is my, my favorite example is my wife loves love those command things. You know those command things you put on the wall, those things that are supposed to stick there and... and and the other day, we, we needed to put some commands on there, right? Anybody here ever, like, ripped off one of those commands and, like, took half the wall off with it? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because the thing was broken and you couldn't, like, it's like, I don't know. I, I watch it on the commercials, like, that does not happen. I'm like, that is such a lie. That, I, I've never, and my wife's, like, trying to tell me, no, you're doing it wrong. I'm like, there's no other way to do it. I'm just trying to rip the thing off, right? Marcus, she's all, no, you're just going to be nice and you got to pull it. It's got a tail. You got to pull the tail. I like, And the greatest example we get of Jesus disarming the power of the enemy is he completely ripped it away from us. I want you to imagine that your life is full of, of, of horrible, wretched, disgusting things surrounding you. And Jesus comes and he doesn't just wipe you off. He rips it from you, meaning this. He completely destroys the authority and the work of the enemy. There is no residue anymore of the work of the enemy in your life. And a lot of times that's even what the devil wants to convince you of. Is that all the atrocities of your life, oh, there's some residue there. You remember when, you remember, no, no, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more residue. That might have been my old life. That might have been my old way of thinking, but I'm a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Come on, somebody. we got to understand that when it says that he disarmed the power of the enemy, the enemy no, no longer has influence over your mind. The enemy no longer has authority over your life. He no longer has a grip on you. Through the power of the cross, Jesus, not only, and I like this one. This was my favorite. I, I, I listened to someone say this this last week. Through the power of the cross, Jesus didn't just pry the fingers of the enemy off you. He broke them. I like that. I was like, ooh, I can use that in my sermon. His power over you has been broken. He disarmed the power of the enemy. So we see that in the cure, what Christ did on the cross is he disarmed the power of the enemy, but secondly, he healed us. And even last week, we talked about Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. By what Christ did on the cross, we are healed. There in Isaiah 53, and the reason I'm going to share this with you is because this is so valuable for us to understand. That word healed by his wounds, we are healed. That word healed in the Hebrew means rafa. It's the word rafa, which means it's a complete and total healing. It's the healing that a physician would bring to someone, but it's not just a personal healing. It means the healing of nations. 
It shows us this bigger picture of the healing that Christ brought. It's not just to heal the individual, that the curse that Christ broke on that cross brought healing, not just to you, but to the nations of the earth. That's how powerful it is. He can heal nations. He can heal you. It's not just a soul healing. It's an entire full body, mind healing. It's your entire life being healed. And now listen to this. See, Peter... Peter, disciple of Jesus, was so convinced of this understanding of the healing. Now listen, this is huge. He was so convinced of the healing power of Christ, he wrote something in his letter. He wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. This is profound to me. 1 Peter chapter 2, 24. He himself, this is how convinced Peter was. This is the very guy that denied Jesus three times. He, he must have saw something to write this. Peter must have experienced the resurrection power of Christ. To be someone that in one moment denied Christ and then in another moment would get up and preach the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection. And then say this. He got a revelation of the resurrection power of Jesus in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins. It's Isaiah 53. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now let me tell you why this is so profound. We see the word Rapha, the Hebrew word in Isaiah 53 this healing of nations, the complete and total healing of people. And yet in the Greek, which we see this letter translated in in the Greek, Peter uses this word, and it's an, it's an interesting word. Eomai is the Greek word for this word healed. And you know what it means? To make whole, and it means to give a cure. <laughs> Peter had a revelation that what Christ did on the cross was he brought wholeness to our life, not just to our soul, not just to our spirit, but complete wholeness. As a matter of fact, he was so confident in the work that Jesus did on the cross that he said everything Christ did on the cross became the cure. Jesus is the cure. Jesus gave you the cure. You were inoculated by the cross. So come on, come on. When you wear that cross, don't just wear it as a gang symbol. I mean, don't just wear it as a symbol. Come on, when you wear that cross, you should understand, man, I'm inoculated. I've been, I've been, I've been washed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus on that cross became the cure for my sin and my brokenness and my sickness and my disease. Come on, we have a cure, and his name is Jesus. So we understand that the enemy was disarmed, that we were healed, but also we were given power and authority. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but, who, but for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's the same word that's given to us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We understand that there's a power and authority available to us. And that word dunamis, and I know a lot of people have, have given a bunch of different, different definitions, but the actual definition of the word dunamis means a power to perform miracles. You need to get this in your spirit. 
And the reason I say that is you have to understand that the cross, that the cross has healed us. Your physical body can be healed. The situation that you're going through can shift and change. Why? Because through the cross, he bestowed upon us his miracle-working power. Miracles can happen in your life. And the work of the cross has not diminished one bit. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that the work of the cross has diminished. The, the work of the cross has not diminished one bit. It is still as potent and still as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's still as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. You can be healed. You know what? Let me tell the devil right now. They can be healed. Every lie of the enemy trying to convince you that you can't be healed, you're going to be sick forever, that this is going to kill you, I shut the lie of the enemy down, and I say that God wants to heal you, that by his stripes, you are healed. Your marriage can be healed. Your mind can be healed. We have to understand that Jesus did a complete work on the cross. It's not half-baked. Listen, your salvation is not half-baked. It's a complete work. We see so clearly that Jesus had to die on a cross because there was a price that had to be paid. The worst of the worst had to be saved. Jesus had to die on a cross because there is a cure that God wanted to give this world. He wanted to disarm the enemy. He wanted to heal people. He wanted to give you power. You have power. But lastly, and I love this, why the cross? Because through the cross, he made you more than conquerors. I'll say it again. Through the cross, he made you more than conquerors. I, I love, this is actually my favorite part of the passage when it says, and having disarmed the powers back in Colossians chapter two, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. That means that we're victorious. Complete victory. Complete victory. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, Romans 8, 37, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are more than conquerors. That means that Christ has fought for you. But it's not, just what he, it's not just what he did for you. It's what he's made you to be. That we have victory in our life because of the victory Christ won on that cross. Friends, you have power and authority over the enemy. You're victorious. You're more than conquerors. How amazing is that? I, I love... I love the picture, and I've heard this many times. I just love it. The picture of a boxer going into the ring. And against him is this opponent, big, massive, scary, Satan himself. And he doesn't have the power to be victorious. 
in his own strength, in his own might, he's about to lose. And here this boxer going into this fight knows what's about to happen. He's about to be decimated by this enemy. And all of a sudden the bell rings and it's time to fight. And what ends up happening is someone steps into the ring and defeats the enemy, destroys the work of the enemy. And that boxer didn't even have to lift a finger. But this is what it means to be more than a conqueror. Is at the end of the fight, there's the enemy laying, defeated, powerless on the ground. And the referee comes and makes the announcement of the victor and takes your hand, a hand that you didn't even, you didn't have strength, you didn't have power to be victorious. Takes your weak, feeble hands and lifts it and says, you are victorious. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. You are victorious. And that's victory in every area of your life. You are an overcomer because Christ overcame the cross. You are an overcomer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5. Oh, this is one of my favorite passages. We're gonna, where's the worship team? Come on, worship team. We're about to pray for people. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, you got the victory. Who's got the victory? You have the victory. Come on, tomorrow morning when you look in that mirror, you take your fat finger. Sorry, my fat finger. Some of you got really nice petite fingers. My wife, she has beautiful fingers. You take that finger of yours, you stick it in that mirror, and you look at yourself and say, who's more than a conqueror? I'm more than a conqueror. Every time the devil comes against you like a flood, you just tell him where to stick it. No, no, no hold on. Don't, don't get all perverted on me. Stick it to the cross, devil. It's already there. It's already done. The work's already been done. The healing for my mind, the healing for my body, it's already been done. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm victorious through Christ Jesus. Well, pastor, how come I'm not healed? Friends, I'm not, listen, I'm not here to argue with why God doesn't heal or whether God doesn't heal people or how even people get healed. All I know is it's available. I'm going to say that again. I'm not here to argue how or why or if or when. I don't know all those details. I wish I did, but if I did, then I wouldn't have to trust in God. If I did, I probably then wouldn't have to exercise my faith. I do know that he says, according to our faith, be it done. I do know that it says that he's able to, all, to make all grace abound in all things having all sufficiency. I know that the Bible says that he's able to do anything. That he is a God that nothing is impossible for him. That he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or even imagine. I know my God is able. And so the question is not why he does or doesn't. The question is, is it available? What do I have to believe if there's anything that I can accomplish, if there's anything that I can accomplish as your pastor this morning, is for you to have the faith and the understanding and the revelation of what is available to you today, that you can walk out of this place free, healed, 
forgiven of your sins, delivered of your past, completely and totally made whole. That's what's accessible and available to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says, I glory in the cross. I glory in the cross. You're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I, I need freedom. You know, sometimes we limit Jesus. We limit what we can receive from Christ because in our minds, we think that he can actually, he can only forgive us of certain things. And we hold on, we hold on to certain identities and certain words, certain lies of the enemy. And, and we never receive the fullness of the forgiveness which Christ has given us. Pastor, are you saying that I'm half saved? No, I'm not saying that. The problem is you're not walking in the fullness of what he's given you. And I believe that God desires to impart to you this morning a revelation of the fullness of what he's given you. The fullness of forgiveness. And the word of the Lord says, confess your sins and he's faithful and just will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Why? Because the work of the cross was a full work. It was for the worst of the worst. And it's available, that forgiveness, that cleansing is available for you right now. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I need to be forgiven of my sins. There are areas in my life, Pastor, that I'm still, I'm still holding on to. I haven't allowed the full work of the cross to be available in this part of my life. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an identity issue. And you haven't received the fullness of that in your life. Friends, that's available to you this morning. The full work. If that's you, I want you with all boldness. You say, Pastor, I want to receive that right now. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand so I can pray for you. Ready? One, two, three. All over this house. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can we give Jesus some praise in this place? Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And for more great content, go to KCOahu.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.